Hi and welcome to Data Hack Radio. This is Kunal, your host for the show. In this episode, we will talk to Sebastian Ruder. Sebastian is a PhD student in natural language processing and a research scientist at Elin. He blogs about machine learning, deep learning, NLP and startups. In this episode, we'll talk to him about his research and his interest in computational linguistics. Thanks a lot for uh, taking time out uh, for this uh, podcast and uh, I've read your blogs uh, for at least uh, almost 12 to 18 months uh, and and I love the way you you know explain the concepts and uh, and you do that so so uh, I've loved your work and it's great to kind of uh, uh, talk to you and and know a bit more about yourself and your work Uh thank you. Yeah, thank thanks really for having me. And really it's really an, an honor to be able to talk to you on this podcast. And yeah, I really love the the work you've been doing with Analytics Video as well, like helping to educate people on data science. So yeah, so I'm really cl- grateful to to be here. Thanks, thanks Sebastian. Uh so Sebastian, let's start with uh, you know yourself. So can you tell us a bit about yourself, your journey, uh, your love about linguistics and the work you're doing uh, in NLP? Uh sure yeah um so yeah so my background is kind of in computational linguistics so basically um which is kind of at the intersection of um computer science and um linguistics mm-hmm. and so I haven't been yeah, so I'm a pretty junior so I haven't been in the field for for that long yet and um I mainly got in the field um because kind of throughout high high school I was really interested in um math and and languages really so I really liked um learning foreign languages and then once it came to going to university I really was looking for um a field that kind of combined both those passions uh, in a way mm-hmm. and yeah through doing some research I basically came on um computational linguistics which I think is quite a uh, a niche field or it's not not that or uh yeah not not that big in and of itself mm-hmm. um but which really uh, kind of co- combines uh, those uh, those two ideas mm-hmm. and um yeah i did that ended up doing that for my undergrad in a very small uh, class in uh, heidelberg in germany mm-hmm. and then um throughout doing that i realized because in computational linguistics you kind of have the um kind of the more classic stream which tries to use um kind of ideas of um formal linguistics and really trying to understand how we can um model languages um from a computational perspective and use that to basically get a better understanding of language sure. um and then on the other hand you have this side of natural language processing which is now getting a lot more attention where you try to um create computational models that allow you to yeah do machine learning um mm. to learn certain aspects about language and that um kind of that latter side what what was what I found a bit more more useful or it's just generally um like more applicable and more uh, applied to a lot of things so uh, so I was learning more about machine learning by doing online courses uh, doing doing my studies um and then upon finishing my undergrad i really um was intending first to get some experience in industry um but then came across a program um which kind of combined uh applied work and uh, and research mm-hmm. and um yeah and, and that was really because doing research was really kind of my my ultimate goal but i thought that was still a bit detached at that point um and that was what i what i ended up doing and i'm still doing now at this point sure sure so uh you know uh, going back as you said uh, you almost uh, you always loved mathematics and language so when was the first time you thought uh, you know uh, language could be dealt mathematically as well and and you know uh, uh, if you remember any of the initial projects or side work which which uh, you worked on and and that excited you about the domain yeah so I, okay that, that's that's a very good question so i i've kind of i had thought about that um because i ended up like doing high school i ended up doing a kind of working on a lot of kind of math related things on the side and doing kind of competitions or so um mm-hmm. and similarly doing things that uh, were related to to languages as well so i've always kind of thought about like putting uh, ideas from one one of the sides um 
for, for, from combining those things. Yeah. Uh, I don't think I can think of like a particular instance now, but that that was mm -hmm. kind of on on my mind as well. But I, I um, yeah, at that point, I, because I really didn't know um, anyone who was doing anything similar to that, mm -hmm. um, so I didn't really have a good way of actually like have, taking a glimpse into what, what is out there. And that sure. only came kind of later once I once I learned more about the fields. Sure. So, so your first exposure to a uh, you know project etc. was part of your coursework, or uh, or that was uh, uh, while you were doing your undergrad. So, so how how did that happen? Um, yeah, yeah, that that was pretty much. So I, I did kind of before. Um, just before studying, I am sure, like as most people do, I, I just. I, Took, uh, I went to the university and like sat in into some classes just to see if I would like that. And then my main exposure was uh, then just in the undergrad because um, you would like in computational linguistics you would typically have classes where you um, that are focusing more on kind of classic linguistics on um, like linguistic theory and kind of more of the um, the background knowledge in that. And then similarly, just classes related to computer science. Mm -hmm. And then um, in addition, you would kind of have class at the intersection of those, um, which really um, yeah, kind of teach more about kind of classic computational linguistics um, methods, uh, like parsing methods or part of speech hackers or so that you can really use to, um, to kind of combine both those mm -hmm. and really kind of the, the computational theory be behind those as well. And uh, was the focus of uh, your work and your projects uh, always English or you, you tried a variety of languages and, uh, and then uh, picked uh, uh, some of them? Um, yeah, so I think that that's kind of an, an so, so because my, uh, um, because the project was based or the undergrad was based in Germany, um, because of that, we had a, some exposure, uh, to German as, as well, yeah. that we in some classes use like German for kind of building, um, the grammar or so. But in most, uh, like most coursework and still kind of that's one of the, the downsides or one of the deficits about kind of the current research landscape is that really predominantly the language is English. Yeah. So we didn't really get too, you don't really get too much exposure on working on other languages unless you really try to do that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Sure. Uh, but uh, with your brief, uh, you know, work on German language and in most of the work in English, what sort of differences, uh, you know, do you come across uh, when you move from one language to other? Can you can you tell a few examples for, for the listeners? Um, yes. Yeah, so, so, I mean, so um, kind of the most uh, characteristic difference, um, I guess, is that German is kind of more, um, yeah, more, more flatly rich than English. So in, whereas in English, you can really, um, yeah, just get a long way with very, uh, yeah, with very simple, um, tokenization and with just, uh, building models on the word level. Mm -hmm. Um, if you want to do things, uh, for German, it's often useful to, yeah, kind of, uh, model um, morphemes or be kind of more conscious of um, yeah how words are actually uh, composed mm -hmm. um, and in addition so for um, so one kind of big part of like linguistic or um, computational linguistic theory is also building kind of past trees so kind of how you can compose uh, words in a sentence or in a document um, hierarchically and how they form different different clauses or different uh, chunks essentially mm -hmm. um, and uh, there's a lot of um, theory or kind of a, a lot of work going into that for for English and for German you often you can use kind of similar things but you might have to use different rules or um, because the German um, uh, kind of the way you can um, the way uh, the word order in um, in the sentences is a bit more loose, yeah. um, so you might have to use um, kind of less strict rules or more allow for more of these variations, basically. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Sure, sure. So uh, right now uh, you're doing a PhD in NLP, and you're also working with uh, Alan, right? That's that's the right pronunciation. Yeah, mm, uh, exactly. That's uh, that's the right pronunciation. Uh, exactly. Yes. Mm -hmm. So, can you tell us a bit more about the work and also your PhD? So, what is the specific uh, area within NLP which you are uh, uh, pursuing as part of your PhD? Uh, sure. Yeah. So the um, so the program is essentially kind of a joint program. So, spending part of my time at um, kind of the university or work on research, and part of my time working on applied things with the company. Mm -hmm. And um, as I think is kind of common with most um, PhD 
PhDs or people pursuing the PhD. Um, the topic I was working on for my research um, kind of changed throughout my PhD a bit, mostly mm -hmm. as I got to know the field a bit better and my, um, my interest um, changed a bit. Mm -hmm. um, and so for, um, yeah, so now essentially, or what, what I've kind of gravitated um, towards, so the company, for just to provide a bit more context, mm -hmm. um, mainly works on um, like so processing of news data and extracting information from from news data, um, aggregating news articles and kind of doing um, yeah different um, sorts of enrichment uh, on that. Mm -hmm. So um, naturally kind of one big component of that is um, like sentiment analysis, but also different things like uh, relation extraction, named mm -hmm. entity recognition and entity linking and things like that. Mm -hmm. um, so initially throughout uh, my PhD, I did a lot of work on kind of different sentiment related tasks based on um, different sorts of data and building essentially um, classification models for that. Mm -hmm. um, but as I realized, because we also um, kind of part of the business also doing consulting and building models for customers who kind of have their own um, data or their own uh, needs for their own, uh, for their own models. Mm -hmm. um, so while doing that, I essentially realized that kind of the, the biggest problem, what I really found most interesting from research perspective is kind of dealing with having models that can adapt and generalize to those new domains or new forms of data where there's not necessarily a lot of uh, label data available. Mm -hmm. um, just because each customer would have their own own data source, so we couldn't really apply our existing models to those uh, straight away. So mm -hmm. I was really interested in kind of developing methods that uh, allow us to adapt to these new data sources uh, in a better ways. And, and this has really kind of been like the main theme throughout my research as well, that I've tried to look into different ways on kind of doing that on how we can use either existing um, previous knowledge, existing pre-trained models, or other information from um, other data sources that we might have available. Sure, um, sure. Uh, that's actually very interesting. So I would want to delve a bit deeper uh, into this because I'm sure this is a big problem out there. So can you tell us, you know, what kind of methods uh, or what kind of uh, techniques uh, come into play or do you use to uh, address that problem so if i have a data set which doesn't necessarily have a label data set already and i still want to use some of these techniques to make sense out of it what uh, how do you go about solving that problem so there's kind of a very wide variety of, of methods you could um, you could um, have at your disposal there. So one kind of strand of research is um, domain adaptation, where you essentially, uh, where the most common setting is that you want to do unsupervised domain adaptation, where you have a, a labeled uh, target domain and kind of some um, unlabeled data, uh, sorry, a labeled source domain and some unlabeled data from a different target domain. And you want to have a model that um, performs better on that or that performs well on this uh, new domain, essentially. Mm -hmm. um, and th there's kind of been, so a lot of research um, kind of in the image domain, for instance, is kind of tries to align the different uh, distributions of the data or to make the source features kind of more similar to the features of the target domain. Yeah? Mm -hmm. And that's also been uh, something that people have been trying to do in NLP. So one kind of approach that was... Um, like particularly evaluated on sentiment analysis, for instance, would be to train um, kind of different forms of uh, autoencoding models um, that can like um, generate representations uh, of of each domain, and to have one model that can um, generate essentially a, a joint representation of the domains that is somewhat um, that somewhat doesn't distinguish what domain it, it comes from, mm -hmm. and um, in that regard, people recently, for instance, like. Kind of one component people are using for that now is to have a um, so-called domain adversarial loss. You have your your autoencoder or your model, for instance, um, and then you have another another auxiliary loss where you penalize the model for um, learning features that allow it to distinguish uh, between the domains. So that you want to so with the intuition being that you somehow want to learn uh, representations that are um, general and that don't contain any domain specific information uh, if I were to uh, summarize this you're trying to use a semi supervised techniques uh, by extracting data by a domain where you have labelings and removing the uh, differences in the two data sets is is that uh... um exactly that, that would kind of be one way that you could go about doing that yeah. Mm -hmm. 
okay okay uh, and sorry i interrupted you you were probably saying some other method uh, as well uh, yeah so so that's kind of a, one way that is now because with uh, like neural networks you can um very kind of easily learn these sort of representations so that's kind of one particular um like strand of research that uh, is been quite uh, widely used these days um but then again you could also try to incorporate some so in kind of past like maybe bit pre deep learning work people have tried to use some some sort of domain knowledge um to actually um uh make this sort of transfer easier from by um uh, in sentiment analysis having um a model that can learn um that can essentially uh, know which of the sentiment words should stay the same within the domain so you you know that sentiment words like good or bad they probably still mean the same in uh, the new domain mm-hmm. um so you can um try to use words like that more as features um or in other tasks like part of speech checking you might want to um define features that um that in particular look at um maybe the the distributional um features of the model so more um more at uh, kind of the part of speech tags the words co-occur with rather than the uh, the words themselves for instance mm-hmm. um yeah uh, and then similarly you have kind of have this whole um whole area of like semi supervised learning methods as well which you could uh which you could leverage um where it's essentially this sort of domain notation is kind of a, can be treated as like a semi supervised learning setup with the additional difficulty that you have this domain shift as well which might think make things more challenging or which might make models that just try to um learn from unlabeled data a bit less robust in practice interesting interesting and uh and what kind of domains have you uh, you know applied uh, these methods to um so generally so in in terms of research kind of popular um domains are like for sentiment analysis for instance um their popular evaluation domains are um looking at different categories of product reviews mm-hmm. because those are kind of clearly well defined and you can easily yeah. get uh, training data for those mm-hmm. um but then like more in terms of work really looking at a kind of social media data so twitter is kind of a popular data source um as well as just different data that is available on the web uh, like mm-hmm. news articles like data from um kind of different web forums or um yeah blocks as well mm-hmm. sure sure interesting oh so uh, you also co-authored a uh, you know a number of research papers with uh, some of the eminent personalities in in ml world so uh, among the ones which you have uh, uh, written which one are your you know a topics or favorites uh, uh, if any Hello listeners. Data Hack Summit is shaping up great. We have more than 50 speakers, more than 15 hack sessions and 6 workshops and we could not be more excited. We'll talk about the latest developments in AI, machine learning and deep learning. Join more than 1000 of people at Data Hack Summit to experience the world where humans meet artificial intelligence. on 22nd to 24th november 2018 in bangalore book your tickets before they sell out yeah so, so it's really i mean um i think it's kind of hard to pick maybe one particular favorite or so just because um one thing i've particularly enjoyed about doing research is really having the opportunity with working with um really inspiring people and um kind of uh, people with kind of um complementary skills as well and being able to learn from other people that's mm-hmm. why i've tried to um collaborate with um different number of people as well mm-hmm. um so in terms of I think one particular project I enjoyed uh, that was uh, last year where I did a research visit at another university in Copenhagen uh, where I got to work with a couple of the PhD students um and the professor um under Sugard there on um on multitask learning which was at that time also an area I hadn't really worked on before so it was mm-hmm. really um kind of a good opportunity to to learn more about that mm-hmm. and then probably uh, um like more recently um um the work i did with uh, Jamie Howard from Fast AI yeah. um that was really um firstly i'd been um following Fast AI for for a while before from the inception of its first course mm-hmm. and really um 
kind of, I mean, similarly to what you're doing with analytics video, um, really like the concept of just helping to make machine learning more accessible and helping to, to educate people about machine learning. Um, and I was fortunate in just having the chance to chat with and like talk about things in, uh, with, with Jeremy. And then as he got more interested in natural language processing, we kind of our, um, we realized that we had like sim similar interests mm -hmm. and, um, cause he, had been kind of working on um, some of these things already that I had been thinking about in terms of using uh, language modeling. We decided to um, just formalize that a bit more and really uh, hopefully bring it to a stage where it would be uh, very useful to a lot of people, hopefully. And um, yeah, and seeing kind of the, the positive reception on that and really, I think the, the kind of impact that had and as, as well, just having the opportunity to work with him, that was really a great experience. Sure. And this work which you did with Jeremy, so is that now part of the fast AI libraries or uh, or this is right now uh, coming out as a, as a research paper? Uh, can you tell a bit more? So if I want to uh, read and know about that, uh, what can I do? Uh, sure, yeah. So uh, exactly, to provide a bit more context, so the, the research paper um, came out at ACL um, a couple yeah. of months ago, which is one of the top conferences in natural language processing, yeah. and it's called uh, Universal Language Model Fine-Tuning for Text Classification, mm -hmm. uh, short for uh, OMFIT. Um, yeah, so it came out a while ago. The um, kind of the whole paper is accessible online on archive as well. Mm -hmm. And the, the method we provided scripts uh, scripts for that, um, which are also integrated uh, now in the FastAI library. And actually, like I think yesterday, um, the kind of first um, official version of the FastAI library came out as well, mm -hmm. um, which integrates um, that model a bit more. Um, a bit more tightly. Mm -hmm. um, so now it's really easy to, and essentially just for a bit more context, what we propose there is um, uh, essentially some new methods to um, pre-train and then fine tune a pre-trained language model that we show um, give state-of-the-art performance on a few text classification data sets. Mm -hmm. um, and um, yeah, and the, the new version of the FastAI library now makes it very easy to uh, leverage these pre-trained models and just fine-tune them on your own datasets um, with uh, only a few lines of code. Mm -hmm. Yeah, interesting. Very interesting. So people can download this latest version of the library and, and then uh, start playing uh, around on their own, right? Um, exactly, and we have uh, we're, we're currently so I'm currently just updating the scripts to conform with the the newest version. Um, mm -hmm. But there's already um, kind of samples and examples in the documentation which show um, how that can be done. And the only downside at the moment is that the main models we provide, uh, uh, the main pre-trained models we provide, are still in English. Mm -hmm. um, so we're currently working on just uh, making it easier for people to use this in other languages as well so that we can um, provide um, these pre-trained models uh, in other languages as well. Sure, sure. Got it, got it. And, uh, you know, if I were to uh, step back, so, you know, you you started your journey in NLP and computational linguistics when uh, it was uh, not getting as much attention, but but it was your area of interest. But, you know, in last three to four years or, or probably longer, there has been a lot of attention, a lot of development, and the domain is evolving really fast. Uh, uh, with, with uh, for example, some of the work happening on deep learning. So, you know, from your perspective, when you look at the field, what are, uh, uh, let's say, top three to four trends or areas which you see uh, as exciting development and, uh, and how do you see them panning out uh, uh, in, let's say, next three to four years? Uh, sure. Yeah. So that, that's a great question. So I think one one thing probably a lot of people in the field agree on as well mm -hmm. is that um, kind of a real like open problem or a big challenge is to get models that can do um, real natural language understanding essentially. Mm -hmm. um, so for people who are maybe have some interest in the in the field or have been following that, um, they've probably realized that by now um, we can get quite like we can train our models um, to get quite good accuracy on kind of a lot of standard text classification tasks. So for uh, for instance, um, binary sentiment classification on movie reviews, mm -hmm. um, you can get accuracy up to 95%. So you can do that very accurately. Mm -hmm. um, and similarly in the head, uh, like in 
kind of in recent uh, headlines or newspapers, there were all these reports about, okay, that you can get, um, that models can now get to superhuman performance on this um, question answering data set, which was created by Stanford. So yeah. this squad data set. Mm-hmm. Um, but then kind of after that, people really show that what these models on the data set actually learned just because of the way the task was defined was really no way close to actual um, question answering. So they really only learned to exploit some very um, superficial biases in the data mm-hmm. and didn't really learn or didn't really ex- exhibit a very uh, good ability to generalize beyond that and to really um, work on work new data sets. So mm-hmm. I think a main challenge like going forward is to work on kind of more uh, more realistic or more challenging problems that will really allow us to um, go beyond um, having models that just um, exploit biases in the data, but that really um, can yeah that we uh, that really get closer to this um, to actually um, understanding or to actually having the model more of the um, semantics or more comp- composition language essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, and then secondly, um, um, also um, essentially incorporating um, kind of other knowledge as well. Or um, So people in, in nowadays are kind of talking more about using uh, common sense knowledge. So how can we actually treat, uh, teach our models to not having to learn everything from scratch, but mm-hmm. incorporate things that... Um, yeah, that are kind of related to common sense, uh, which might not be expressed in kind of the, the text or the, the raw form of the text um, directly. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, um, yeah, and um, so as I've alluded to before, this, this direction of like using pre-trained language models, uh, I think that's going to get us, um, that is like in the near term, very promising direction just to increase the currency because so far it's been shown to give us a lot of boost on or to ha- help us improve the performance of our models on a lot of tasks. Mm-hmm. Um, but probably in the in the more long term for really being able to do well on these really more challenging tasks, I think we probably need more of that and we really need better methods to incorporate uh, previous knowledge or to really do more sorts of uh, common sense reasoning. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's really an, an area where just, because um, right now, if you have been following NLP, um, the the kind of model of choice in a lot of tasks is really to use uh, a bi-directional LSTM, uh, yeah. a long short-term memory model on, mm-hmm. on your data. And um, yeah, just, and that gives you good performance on a lot of tasks, but uh, just using that model will not be enough to really have um, yeah, more, uh, to have better natural language understanding. Yeah, kind of the sense is really that we need more fundamental advances that go beyond that. And I think that can really benefit from having uh, more diverse, uh, more diversity in the community and people with different perspectives as well coming into the field. Sure. Um, yeah, so that, that's kind of one, uh, I think probably the, the most, the, the biggest problem, maybe the, uh, probably the most challenging as well. Um, and then secondly, I think um, kind of a second big problem, um, as I mentioned before, is really um, to have models that, because now the biggest successes um, so far have really been on data sets where there's been hundreds of thousands um, of training examples generally mm-hmm. um, where you can get a good performance on that by just learning from a lot of data, which is what neural networks really can do very well. Mm-hmm. Um, but because in, in practice, or really if we take kind of inspiration from like humans uh, learn uh, language, uh, yeah, everyone knows that we, we don't require millions of examples to actually grasp the concept or to, to know what a certain uh, word refers to or so. Mm-hmm. Um, so really the, I think the, the second big, the biggest problem is really how we can endow our models with um, yeah, this kind of increased um, sample efficiency that we can have models that can learn um, better just with a fewer number of examples as well. And that mm-hmm. can, um, and then that they don't overfit, but can really generalize or um, kind of in the most extreme case, do few shot or one shot learning just from a few examples. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I think that's, that's really something that now that we've kind of hit um, this point that we know um, models work well with a lot of examples. I think that's kind of the uh, next um, most interesting uh, research direction after that. Um, and yeah, and then maybe finally, uh, not that I go uh, on for too long, but I think the, the third problem really and uh, what I'm personally really interested a lot in is to 
um, because as I mentioned before, most of the research is um, working on English and most mm -hmm. of kind of the um, data sets out there are in English as well. Mm -hmm. And um, that going forward, uh, we really um, kind of try to democratize um, the use of NLP for other languages as well, so that we uh, either come up with um, yeah, tasks or language-specific uh, solutions for those languages, mm -hmm. or um, just um, that we're able to adapt and extend our models to work well on other languages as well. Yeah. And um, I think, yeah, that will really go a lot go a long way in the long term in really helping other people use NLP and really making um, kind of the sort of technology and the, the models we have now um, accessible for um, yeah the rest of um, the people on the planet who don't speak English as their native language. Sure, sure. Interesting. So, uh, you know, so uh, in that sense, uh, the three things that you're uh, mentioning are basically, you know, uh, uh, making sure that there is meaningful learning happening on the existing problems and we just don't measure, for example, accuracy, uh, one-shot learning or learning more efficiently from the data uh, more closer to human brain. And the third one is, you know, uh, generalizing it to more uh, to uh, a wider uh, range of languages and, and kind of benefiting. Uh, yeah, yeah, pretty much. Mm -hmm. Interesting. And, you know, if you have to uh, look at the impact which can, you know, come from uh, NLP or machines doing translations better. And, you know, there are, there are broadly two sets uh, in which I can classify this entire field. One is, you know, the interpretation and what people are saying and maybe classification based on it. And the second is generative. So, for example, bots being able to answer uh, questions or, or have a meaningful conversations. So, so anything uh, on the generative side which you uh, would want to mention? Um, so, any anything that um, you mean in the context of making people's life easier um, in, in that context here? No, so more in the sense that, uh, you know, uh, uh, so the discussion or the three points which you mentioned were more on uh, uh, inferences being drawn from data sets, I'm seeing, uh, whereas there is a field on, you know, being uh, machines being able to have more meaningful uh, discussions by themselves or generating sentences or uh, in that sense entire language so or maybe for example things like writing novels or uh, uh, you know describing areas so, so that, uh, anything on that uh, side of the um, yeah, I mean, I think the whole kind of field of like human computer uh, interaction or just um, basically um, like really in the near term um, augmenting um, like human abilities with um, computers and making humans more efficient. I think that's really a big um, application area where NLP can help a lot. Um, I mean, we've, we're already seeing that through um, the use of intelligent keyboard, just making us uh, making it easier for, for people to, to write messages or uh, yeah, um, uh, text uh, faster. Uh, mm -hmm. And now um, I've really, I've personally been really excited to see uh, things like Google's um, Smart Reply being um, rolled out to all of Gmail because yeah. um, I think that's a very cool application of, um, yeah, how you can use, I mean, sure, with um, uh, like kind of privacy or you have to um be aware or mindful about like privacy concerns well, uh, with developing those models. But if we mm -hmm. keep that um, aside for the moment, I, I think, um, yeah, kind of the, this direction is really can have a very big impact in just making people more efficient. And then, um, yeah, I'm sure the next generation of smart reply would actually have some, uh, yeah, you can uh, think of uh, just having autocomplete in, um, and just being able to write the entire emails faster. And then um, there's, I mean, there's other companies working um, on that for, uh, you can have for a particular domain, such as for lawyers or in the medical domain as well, helping to um, assist people with uh, the writing there or just in general with the decision-making. I think using, yeah, you can have NLP uh, explain um, the predictions of models or the decisions that um, models are making to provide kind of more rationales uh, for there. So I think really this, um, yeah, this area of um, interacting or augmenting the human intellect using um, some some of the output 
um, from these uh, models is really yeah a very very big field, and I think something we're really only scratching the surface uh, on now, and something I'm really expecting to see a lot more uh, development and a lot more potential in the future. Sure, sure. And uh, you know, if someone is uh, starting uh, in this domain, so someone, uh, let's say, the, uh, someone has just graduated in computer science and they want to pursue this field, uh, how do you uh, suggest that they should go about learning this domain? So, what are, for example, some of the places where they could learn? What are the kind of projects they can start? Uh, working on and, and how do they move into some of the more advanced stuff uh, uh, in this field? Uh, sure, yeah. And I, I think there often people should ask, ask themselves whether they're interested in um, just working as a kind of on the engineering side as a um, uh, engine, machine learning engineer, say, mm-hmm. um, kind of implementing those models or whether they're really interested or whether they're actually interested in pushing the state of the art and doing research mm-hmm. on, on that. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, so I think for, for both, probably initially, I think my advice would really be to start out with doing um, some online courses just to get... Um, kind of an overview of the fundamentals in, in that area. Um, so I'm t- I tend to um, kind of recommend, so um, I think FastAI is a great resource, um, not only to learn about NLP, but um, kind of about other concepts and mm-hmm. uh, just to get a general overview of what people are doing and a lot of the best practices. Mm-hmm. Um, so I always recommend that to people. And then for NLP in particular, I think um, at the moment, one of the um, best courses to get like an overview of what people are um doing or at least have been doing over the last few years is to take the um, deep learning for NLP course offered at Stanford, um, which is an online course. And they have really kind of useful lectures to get you some exposure of some of the um, kind of more fundamental or more widely, more common um, techniques in uh, NLP, uh, in particular neural networks as applied for NLP. Mm-hmm. And then once you have some um, overview or some basic knowledge of the field, um, I think I, I'd advise really to um, figure out if you're really interested in that field, um, like find a problem that you're really interested in, um, or yeah, maybe you let yourself be inspired by something people have been working on in the literature. So if you're kind of interested in question answering, you might want to look at um, some of the, the data sets people have been working on, or if you're interested in a particular text classification task, you might um, consider just getting data for that yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and then really firstly, um, trying to understand what the current, um, yeah, state of the art is doing. So maybe reading some, some papers, um, some of the more re- recent papers on that to really find out what are, what are currently the best practices in, in this area. And then either, uh, try to re-implement that, although, um, like with, with re-implementation, particularly if you're just starting out, that can be, a bit challenging, um, particularly if there's no reference code available. So I'd really recommend um, kind of initially finding a task where kind of the state-of-the-art model has um, like a maintained um, uh, implementation that you can use and look at and just use to replicate the results. Um, and then, um, yeah, really, so if you're interested in research, I would recommend just trying to understand a bit more, just understanding your, your data um, in, in both cases and on the research side, Mm-hmm. understanding more what kind of errors the the model is making what is actually necessary for um for completing the task and just trying maybe to probe a bit more what the model is learning and then maybe um trying to think of some way to to address some of the deficits you found mm-hmm. and um yeah, if you're maybe more interested in the applied side, I think it's really useful to try to take that model and apply it to your own data. Or ideally, if you have, if you're speaking another language, um, try to kind of mimic or replicate uh, that existing data sets in your language and apply that model there. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, see if kind of it, you can transfer it um, if the performance stays around the same or what kind of problems you're, you're dealing with there. And um, yeah, and I think there in general, um, it's kind of if you're working on something 
yourself, it can be really, um, if you don't really have a community or people to turn to, it can be very challenging to get yourself out of a, a dead end like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's really useful to um, yeah, and be engaged in um, a community, um, such as in analytics video or mm-hmm. uh, the fast AI forums are really great for that as well, just to get um, people and ask them for advice mm-hmm. or um, the machine learning community on Twitter is very active and um, yeah, you can, if you have like more general questions, people are really ha- um, happy to answer those questions well. So really try to find, um, if you're serious about that, uh, or the community, and then ideally maybe some people that can take on the role as a mentor or so that can mm-hmm. kind of help you, um, maybe guide you a bit more in your learning uh, journey. That's uh, extremely useful. And uh, so, you know, this is one of the uh, my favorite questions, and especially because you are doing a research uh, in NLP, and, and I think it will make a huge difference in the next uh, three to five years. So, you know, imagine, uh, you know, almost projecting yourself uh, five years forward. So, you know, we are, let's say, sitting at the start of 2024. Uh, how do you think you know the, some of the research work which is happening today in NLP is is going to change uh, life of people? So, so what are some of the let's say you know maybe products or maybe uh, you know the way life uh, uh, people would interact with screens would change uh, over the next five years? So, uh, so what would be your vision of you know let's say twenty twenty four if I were to ask? <laughs> Hi there. Are you a business leader trying to make sense what artificial intelligence and machine learning do for you? Artificial intelligence and machine learning are disrupting several industries across the globe. As a leader, you not only need to understand what AI and ML can deliver for you, but also the best ways to implement them in your business. If you want to learn more about AI and ML for business, Check out our course AI and ML for Business Leaders on trainings.analyticswithdia.com. Join today and get some additional material about how to implement AI in your business. Uh, okay, yeah, that's <laughs> quite challenging to, just because, yeah, I'm not sure. In, in, so I think in, in five years, um, just because five years is not like in terms of research, yeah. not that long of a time horizon. So you probably, mm-hmm. and a lot of kind of practical motivations are really um, motivated by having like a, a, a kind of a big improvement in, in, in things yeah. um, or like a 10 X improvements. And those improvements are generally not the ones you can really anticipate. Um, yeah, right. mm-hmm. So trying, trying to extrapolate a bit. Um, so I think, um, yeah, one thing, so machine translation is really like we've had, have been making a lot of progress uh, on that front mm-hmm. as a field. So I think, um, and we've already seen um, kind of machine, I mean, machine translation now is kind of widely used, but uh, being used, uh, being very accessible, like mobile as well, and um, kind of being integrated in some early um, like earphones or so. So I, I personally really um, would like to see the machine translation being a lot, hopefully a lot more robust for other languages as well. Mm-hmm. Just um, a lot more easier to use as really accessible, um, like on, um, uh, on remote uh, de- devices as well. Yeah. Then secondly, I think in terms of the like human computer interaction, I think we might have Probably for emails first, uh, we have a lot more kind of smarter, maybe autocomplete, maybe more functions that might suggest different things. Um, in, in that regard, it's kind of hard to, you really want to have like uh, the first kind of define like a narrow domain and then expand from that. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe like some simple autocomplete or maybe, uh, yeah, or it might only come down to just um, having maybe a smarter um fast uh, like better smart reply that just um provides you a bit more options or generates more extensive uh, replies mm-hmm. um and then around that you might have um the uh, like voice assistance and um being a lot more pervasive so that in a lot of yeah so, so that kind of smart assistants are more capable and can deal um with a lot more challenging 
tasks. Um, uh, as we've seen now, that you can that you have them really um, being able to call or do on your behalf, um, yeah. or yeah, more, more capabilities um, essentially. So uh, mm-hmm. I think that's that's a clear clear development in, in that side. And then I, I would hope personally that NLP or the kind of um, models are integrated a lot more. Um, yeah, just a wide variety of applications so that you really have, whether you have like a, an app on your computer or like some web application or so, um, and anything where you could have um, something like automatically classified or if you're like a lawyer and you're ser- searching for your uh, documents or if you have um, exactly any, anything that can be that relates to documents and kind of in organizing them better, that that could be... Um, um, complemented with um, just an yeah, NLP model, text classification model that can uh, provide you a bit a sm- smarter way to do that, or um, that just makes it easier for um, for you um, to to find what you're looking for. Yeah. Sure. Um, and yeah, and then maybe la- lastly, I think w- w- one thing I'd uh, I personally like to really see is to have more NLP for um, dealing with source code, for in- instance. Um, just because, um, yeah, to make um, software um, uh, engineers more productive. And mm-hmm. I think that's really uh, like a big part as well that you can augment with having smarter um, smarter code suggestions, smarter autocomplete, um, even um, going towards like semantic parsing where you try to automatically generate some sort of functions or so. Um, mm-hmm. I think that would, um, that's like a big, big industry as well. Mm-hmm. And I hope we can see some, some improvements in that that are then, widely rolled out into like into widely used like IDEs as well um, in, in the next five years hopefully. Sure, that's uh, that's really great. And uh, yeah, uh, I mean, as I said, uh, I uh, I actually you know can't stop thinking about uh, uh, ways in which things would change in next uh, five years, and especially in in and around NLP. So. It's really exciting in that sense. Uh, so, you know, this covers the questions I wanted to take as part of uh, the podcast. Any message you would want to give to the community? Anything which you would want to say, which we have not covered already? Yeah, so, so I, think, I think I just want to um, emphasize again that I, uh, so I personally feel that, um, yeah, like now is, or uh, as we've covered now as well, I think now is a really um, exciting time to, um, to work on language and to work on natural language processing mm-hmm. and and that really now we have very mature kind of tools you have very good uh, like libraries uh, in deep learning and machine learning that you can use mm-hmm. um, and um, a lot of yeah a lot of data sets and a lot of um, yeah different techniques uh, at your at your command mm-hmm. and now it's also I think a way where people are really trying to look into whereas like in the, in the last year or so, a lot of people working on like word embeddings and how we can um, use that to just increase the performance of our models a bit more. And I think now it's really the feeling of trying to understand a bit more what our models are doing and actually getting more insights and working on more challenging problems. Mm-hmm. And um, I think for that, just having, yeah, getting like the insights from people who are speaking either um, other languages or have other personal different experiences that might um, shape their view of the world um, is really a thing very valuable to to get in the community and I think um, kind of getting yeah like uh, doing doing research or publishing like writing research papers or even like reading papers in the beginning can mm-hmm. seem uh, daunting uh, at first I think like I'm speaking from uh, personal experience as well um, but I think nowadays with all the like, online uh, resources that are available and the the communities that um, I think in for machine learning or for NLP as well are really great and really kind of help you um, support you and help you grow as well so I think with that um, yeah it's you you just have to kind of be brave enough to take that first step and just put yourself out there uh, and then one thing I also really would like to emphasize is that it's really um, uh, useful I think to kind of write and just communicate about what you're, you're learning mm-hmm. um, so just uh, writing like a blog about that or like a just something that you can 
publicized so that you both yourself have like kind of a, a track that you keep track of what you what you've learned in the past, but mm -hmm. that you can also get feedback on that from from other people. And then even in the future, maybe people will kind of appreciate that because it helps them actually pick up things faster because you, they didn't have to they didn't have to find all the resources or all the disparate um, source of information themselves. Mm -hmm. So really, I think yeah, because you you have like in the this like very um, expert research paper, which which often which often requires a lot of um, background knowledge to read, mm -hmm. and then maybe online courses which cover more fundamentals. So I think really there's um, still a lot of room for uh, blog posts that just try to make um, things that are kind of situated in the middle and that try to make things like that um, more accessible. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. And uh, in fact, uh, while you were speaking in the first part, I was thinking that, you know, maybe a few years down the line, uh, probably uh, more than five, uh, you might even have a solution which uh, summarizes these uh, research paper, which are uh, tough to read or might feel daunting initially are simplified and then kind of uh, presented in a, in a sim sim more simple fashion to, to people. Yeah, it, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, I think that, that would be super useful to, yeah, to, to make um, both for people reading that and for researchers as well, the, the life easier. And um, here the AI2, the Elm Institute for Artificial Intelligence, they're doing some great work on that. And I, like, I would really love to see more, um, more development in that direction as well. And uh, yeah, and lastly, just one thing I want to mention as well, I just want to emphasize again, um, I think that's really important that we have people working on NLP for uh, non-English languages as well. Yeah. And um, so I think if you're just working by yourself or so, I think um, because labeling data is quite expensive or you have to use or you have to know how to use um, Amazon Mechanical Turk, for instance, mm -hmm. um, but I think there's even a big value add if you can just just annotate like a test set of a few um, lab, like few hundred label examples or so in in your language, um, and then allow people to train on on their training set of choice and mm -hmm. just provide resource for people to evaluate their models on. Because I think just having something where people can actually evaluate performance and can track progress uh, really will already be a big um, advantage and really um, kind of incentivize to people to work on that language and that problem as well. Mm -hmm. um, so I think just yeah, creating resources for other languages will really help uh, make a big, big difference in the long term. Sure, sure, definitely, definitely. No, thanks, thanks for uh, you know those pieces of advice, and yeah, uh, I completely relate to them. And uh, in fact, uh, you know that's that's the way we grew analytics with it. Started as a blog and then converted into a community. So exactly, that's a great, that's an amazing example of that. <laughs> yeah. So so thanks a lot for your uh, time, Sebastian. As I said, really, uh, you know, enjoyed the talk and uh, uh, the things which we discussed and uh, I love your work uh, keep keep uh, writing on uh, as the way you have been and uh, looking forward to uh, you know interacting with you in future great yeah thanks a lot for having me sure thanks thanks Sebastian thank you